0: I invite you to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. And I'm reading verse, beginning at verse 5 of Romans 5. And hope does not disappoint. I think there are other translations that have it, and, and hope never lets you down. Special kind of hope never lets you down because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would dare even to die. It might be an exception, but exceptionally someone would die for a righteous person. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Children um, perfect the art of hoping. But it long until even kids recognize that you don't always get everything you hope for and you discover that what you get doesn't always bring happiness. Um, I was sitting down uh, at the dinner table one Wednesday night not long ago, eating dinner on Wednesday evening. And the little girl, this little girl came up to me. i was see her here this morning. She usually is. She came up to me. She said, uh, "Pastor, it's going to snow tonight." And I was glad to get that weather report. And I said well, how do you know? And she said, well, a friend of mine saw it on television that it was going to snow tonight. Well, I got up the next morning and looked out and thought there's a little girl in Durant, Oklahoma that's really disappointed today. Life has disappointments because you don't always get what you hope for and many times what you get doesn't bring the happiness that you thought it would. And one of the greatest disillusionments in life is to work hard all your life and get what you work for and find that it isn't what you thought it would be. Life is filled with disappointment. And that makes Paul's statement, you will never be disappointed that much more awesome And what he's talking about there is the hope that you place in Christ. He never lets you down. And when your hope is placed in him, you always get everything you hope for. I'm here to tell you, you can have all of Jesus you want. You'll get everything you want, and you'll never be disappointed in what you get, what you find there. He never will let you down. And that person that's here this morning who is full of disillusionment and despair, he'll never let you down. And those of you who are seeking comfort for your grief, he'll never disappoint you. And those of you who are wanting guidance for your life, the hope that you place in him will never let you down. Now, if you place that hope in a person, he will let you down or if that hope is placed in a denomination or a program or a church, you will be disappointed, but you will never be disappointed in Him. Now the reason why I can make that kind of a statement, or Paul actually can make that kind of a statement, is twofold. First of all is because the love of God has been proven to us. For God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word demonstrate or commended, which is the King James translation of it, means to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, irrefutable proof, incontrovertible evidence. If it were brought before a jury, they would say, I can stand on this without fear of contradiction, failure. This is absolute truth. God loves you. And He has proven that love in the death of His Son. Now when you look out at night, you look into the heavens, you'll see the greatness of God. This star, the farthest visible star, when you look at it, you're looking back four billion years into time. For the light of that star traveling at 186,000 miles per second has taken 4 billion years to arrive at your site. And I was reading somewhere not long ago that our galaxy has 250 billion stars in our galaxy. And astronomers say that They have evidence to believe that there are as many as a hundred billion other galaxies with just as many stars or more than in our galaxy. This is a marvelous creation of God. And when you look out into the heavens, the heavens declare the greatness of God. And when you look at the creation, it whispers of the genius of God. I read recently of a man who was an unbeliever. His wife had a little baby. and One night he was up rocking that little baby and feeding it. And he was stroking the little baby's head when all of a sudden he was just captivated by its ear. All these conclave and uh, shapes of the ear, whatever you call them. And he started stroking that baby's ear and he thought to himself, something must have happened there that gives evidence to the Creator. God must have done this. So you look out into the heavens and you see the greatness of God. And you look into creation and hold it in your hands. And that gives witness to the genius of God. But when you look at the death of His Son, that declares the grace of God. He loves you. He has proven that in irrefutable evidence that He loves you. Now, what were you like when he died for you? Paul says that you were helpless. While we were still in a helpless condition, there wasn't anything about us that that could uh, militate his love for us. We were totally helpless. Not only were we helpless when he died for us, we were hostile when he died for us. We were his enemies. He didn't come to somebody that liked him and approved of him and loved him he died for us while we were hostile toward Him. Exactly opposite to Him. The distance between man and God is greater than the distance between the poles. they like the span, the, the distance of a man's hand, his thumb and little finger. While we were ungodly, he died for us. While we were unrighteous, he righteous. While we were unfaithful, he faithful, he died for us. While we were hostile, is there anything he would not do for us in love? And he moves from the argument of the greater to the lesser. I want you to look again at this verse, verse 10. And he says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son." Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I want you just to take your finger and turn over to the 8th chapter, verse 32. Read that with me. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What he's saying is this. If he would give up his son while you were helpless and hostile toward him, is there anything you can think of that he would not do for you? I want you to imagine this morning um, that in this service we've got the world's uh, champion weightlifter. I asked my son, what is the world's record? He said, well, just probably just a little bit more than what I can lift. Didn't know exactly. <laughs> a little bit more. Suppose you got this world's champion weightlifter and there's 750 pounds here. He walks in here in his little sumo wrestling suit and squats down before that 750 pounds and lets out a big grunt and lifts 750 pounds over his head, drops it on the floor, sets the world record in the clean and jerk and tonight he comes back in here and we say, would you do another exhibition for us? And there's a little five-pound dumbbell up here on the platform, one of those little five-pounders that uh, women and me you know, <laughs> use to, you know, to build up our biceps. And, 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 and he's, this five-pound dumbbell is laying there. And we, and we say to the, to the champion weightlifter, after we have witnessed... The irrefutable evidence that he can lift 750 pounds clean and jerk over his head. We say to the man, I don't know whether, you know, that may be a little heavy for you there, big guy. I don't know whether you can lift that five pounds or not. You know anything more ridiculous than that? The only thing more ridiculous than that is to know in irrefutable proof that God loved us, gave us his son, and then worry about it whether we're going to be able to pay the next bill or not, whether we're going to be able to deal with this problem we have or not, whether we're going to be able to handle that bad physical report we've gotten or not. Listen, if God would not spare His Son while you were helpless and hostile, there's nothing in your life that He wouldn't do for you. And not only is this love exhibited, this love is experienced He said, it's been poured out in my heart. And the picture is the Holy Spirit running with a vessel and dipping into the heart of God's love and bringing that vessel and pouring it out into our life. We know experientially that God loves us. He'll never fail us. Not only do we know that He'll not fail us because His love is proven to us, but secondly, because His life is present in us. Now I want you to look at verse 5 again. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now what is he talking about was given to us? He's talking about the Holy Spirit was given to us. Now I want you to turn to the 14th chapter of John. I want us to get a look at what he's talking about here. Get a little uh, understanding of what has been given us. The 14th chapter of John, Jesus is giving his farewell address to his disciples. He's about to leave this earth. And he says to them in verse 16 of the fourth chap- 14th chapter, he says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now, I want you to take a pencil and, and, and circle that word another. It means another of the same kind. Now, if I get another suit, it might not be of the same kind. Or if I get another New Testament, it not, might not be exactly another of the same kind. So, There's a difference between another and another of the same kind. This word is, I'm going to give you another of the same kind. In other words, the person who is going to follow me into this earth is another me, another Jesus. And that other Jesus is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you another just like me. And he's going to be with you forever. He's called another helper. Now that word helper is translated comforter in the King James, but let me me see if I can describe what that word is like. Let's suppose today that you're traveling down a road, and you're walking down this road, and you're you're meeting someone who is coming towards you on the same road. At a point of intersection in that road, this person meets you, comes to you, confronts you, And then as you keep walking, He turns around and walks with you the rest of the way. That's what He's talking about. So He's saying that at a point of time, your life came to an intersection, to an encounter with with me, with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit came to walk with you for the rest of the way. Now I've heard people say, we like to say this, well, if... You know, if Jesus were here, I think I could live a better life. I could know how I was to live and what I'm to do. Let me, let me uh, give you a clue, my friend. Jesus is more accessible and available to you in the other Jesus than he was to Peter and John. I'm not sure you believe that. I want to say it again. Jesus is more available to you in the other Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, than Jesus was to Peter and John. Now you and I need to get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. Because the greatest possession, the most important possession that a believer has is the... And, and, and Blackaby says that, that, the Holy, that, we, that, that God makes His will and plans known to us by the Holy Spirit through prayer and Bible study and through circumstances and, and, and through other people. But what he's saying is this, is that God speaks to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. You ever heard Him? Well, you will hear Him if you are tuned to hear Him. Because the scripture says that we have ears of the the heart, ears of the soul. Jesus said if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And what he implies there is, is that when you're born again, when your life intersects with Jesus Christ, he gives you the ability to hear from God. And you'll hear from him if you're tuned to hear from him. Peter Lord tells about the time they were... He was with a group of people in new york city he said they were sitting there standing there waiting on a cab and this guy all of a sudden was with them said did you hear that cricket and they said what cricket (laughs) when i heard taxis and cars and buses and people he said there's a cricket over there in that bush and he said nobody heard the cricket except you know this guy he said they got in this cab and they started on down the street and this man gave them this long discourse about crickets now you never know what you're going to learn when you come here so i'm going to give you a little information on crickets the guy said there's 18 different kinds of crickets some are long some are short some are brown some are black he went through this long discourse about crickets the guy was an entomologist now a cricket doesn't mean a thing they're passed to me but this cricket was vital to this man's life goal. And so he knew everything about crickets, and in a a busy New York City traffic, he heard one. The truth is that if a person, if the will of God is vital to a person's life goal, he not only has the ability to hear from God, he does hear from God. And this Holy Spirit who indwells him speaks the will of God to his life. How can I know that he will never fail because his Holy Spirit lives within me and he communicates God's will and purpose to me? And the only time I fail is when I'm not listening to God. Let me say a couple of things about this life that lives in us. It's a resurrection life. Now in verses 9 and 10 and 15 and 17 and 20, He uses the term much more, much more. What he's saying is, is that this life that indwells us is the life of Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's not his life prior to his his crucifixion or his resurrection. It's his post-resurrection life. Christ's post-resurrection life in me. And that life is much more than what I now live. I know I can say this word and not be contradicted. Most of us in this room today are not satisfied with their life. And if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you have found that the Christian life was everything you thought it would be, everything you hoped it would be? I don't imagine there'd be many hands lifted. For most of us, our life is not what we thought it would be. Instead of a life of victory, it's a life of defeat. Instead of a life of joy, it's filled with despair. Christians, I'm talking about. Instead of a life of power, it's a life of impotence. Stuart Briscoe said that our life is like one of these old iron beds. You know, it has a big, strong headboard and footboard, but in the middle it sags. You say, you ask anybody, have you been saved? You ask a. Most of the people in this room, have you been saved? Yes, sir, I was saved. I accepted Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Are you going to heaven? I'm absolutely convinced of it. I'm going to heaven when I die. But what about right now? There's no hallelujah in our heart. There's no victory in our life. There are no answered prayers to to point to. Sagging. We don't have to live like this. It's a much more life that Christ makes available through his resurrected life. That life in us, why are we living like this? We don't have to. I want you to look at verse 10 again of this passage in Romans. And I'm going to translate it from the Amplified Bible. Listen to this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, it is much more certain now that we are reconciled, that we should be saved than he puts in parentheses. Daily delivered from sin's dominion for his resurrected life. Daily delivered from dominion. Now if somebody went down and put $10 million in your bank account and called you and said, I've just deposited $10 million in your bank account. Spend it whenever and however you want to spend it. You're not going to say, well, yeah, I'm going to spend that when I get to be about 85. I mean, what fun can you have when you're 85? <laughs> when I spend, I'm going to spend that when I get old and decrepit and can't do anything else. Why would, that's absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous. Why then is it that you're, depend, you're counting on the resurrected life at the end of this age? Let me tell you, the resurrected life is available now. In fact, the only time you can cash in on your possessions is in this life. We sing on Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Listen, your possessions don't lie on Canaan's fair and happy land, if that's what we're referring to as heaven. Your possessions lie here and now. And the only time you can cash in on the promises of God is right now, today, because when you get to heaven, those promises are going to become reality. And the only time you can cash in on faith is today, because when you get to heaven, faith will be sight. You don't have to wait until you die to cash in on the blessings of God, the resurrected life. Now, what's the difference between the resurrected life And the physical life, the difference is that the resurrected life is not limited to self, the limitation of man. It's the release of God in you. Not only is it a resurrection life, it is reigning life. Now you look, if you will, in chapter 5 down to verse 17. Would you do that? For if by the transgression of the one... Death reigned through the One, much more those who receive the abundance of grace, that's us, and the gift of righteousness, that's us, will reign in life through the One, Christ Jesus, will reign in life. J.B. Phillips has it, will live like kings. Now there are two kinds of, two things that need to be said about the reigning life. It's a life of plenty and it's a life of power. You ever known a king that needed anything? They live off the fat of the land. You may go hungry, I guarantee they won't. You may go without clothes, but they never will. They live a life of plenty, live like kings. Now, in a spiritual sense are you living like kings most of us live like Hetty Green you know Hetty Green don't you maybe you heard about her she lived in the streets of Philadelphia she was totally totally impoverished she was she dug around in garbage cans for something to eat people gave her food she, she wore newspapers sewn together for clothes and rags that she dug out of garbage cans for clothes. She lived in a filthy tenement, had no furniture. She slept on a, on a mattress on the floor. She was absolutely, totally, she lived absolutely, totally in bankruptcy and poverty. When she died, it was found that Hetty Green had an estate worth $30 million. She lived in absolute poverty and she had the wealth of a king. No different is Hetty Green than most of us. Is that while we possess in our life the life of Christ, the life of plenty and power, we live as paupers. After the end of the early service this morning, a lady came up to me and said, I know that I have been saved, no question about it. I know that I'm going to heaven, but I have struggled all my life with the fact that I live as though I weren't saved and I had nothing. And she said, I want somebody to tell me how you find this life you've been talking about. And there was an intense urgency in her voice. Well, I can tell you how to start. It starts with two things, as I understand it, in my humble and accurate opinion. It starts with absolute submission to God and immediate obedience to God. I'm going to say something I believe is true, that everything you give to God, he blesses. And if you say, if you must say, God is not blessing my life, my life is not being blessed, I'm not living this kind of resurrected life, then there is this incontrovertible truth. You have not given him your life. It seems strange to me that we pack this thing out on Sunday morning with people. If we had everybody that came to the first service here right now, we couldn't get them in here. But there won't be this many people back tonight. Probably not much more than we're in the early service. And we talk about giving our lives to God if most of us, if we, give our, if we have given our spouse what we, say, what we have given to God, we'd be divorced next week. Now if we, must, if we must say that my life is sagging and there's no joy or victory, then trace it back to the fact that there is something in your life, there is in your life that which is not irrevocably committed to God. Because everything you give him, he blesses. And secondly, there must be absolute, immediate obedience. Now, I don't know much about the life of Jesus, but I have have studied it a little bit. And I have come to the conclusion, I came to the conclusion years ago that the secret of this man's life, this Jesus, this unique man, was his absolute, total, immediate obedience to God, the Father. He just did what the Father said. In immediate obedience. And that's why Peter Lord could say, and when Jesus spit on the ground to make that spittle, to put on the blind man's eyes, he was just as holy and godly when he did that as when he calmed the waves because he did it in obedience to God. And when you spit on the ground, As a result of God's command for your life, you're as holy then as when you come in here and worship Him. Because people who are holy are people who live in absolute, immediate obedience to Him. So what does God want you to do this morning? you know there are things in your life that God has been dealing with for years that have not yet been committed to Him. And don't worry about living this much more life until you go back and start there. Forget it. Forget it. And this little girl came up to me, and she was just a glow. And she said, Pastor, it's going to snow tonight. And I'm thinking Harold, Harold Taft or whatever his name was. He's dead. I mean, world's greatest weatherman. But I found me a weather person here. It's going to snow tonight. And I'm looking out and it's about like this. And I'm thinking to myself, honey, I hope you're right because I like snow. But you're probably wrong. I'm going to tell you this morning, there are a lot of disappointments you'll have in this life. Whatever you give to God this morning, you'll never, ever, ever be disappointed that you did. I'd like to see the person, I'd like to meet the person who would stand up and say, I gave this to God and I wish I hadn't. What does he want you to do today? Why don't you do it now? Let's pray. Our Father, I pray now that every distraction would disappear and we'd focus on this invitation. Lord, we know that you love us because you died for us, paid it all. Help us to confront that issue today. What are we going to do? about a Savior who would die for the helpless and the hostile. And in that prove there's nothing he wouldn't do for the helpless and the hostile. Help us to confront the issue today that Jesus Christ, the other Jesus, lives in us, waiting to be released when we are submitted unequivocally yielded. God, bring us to the reality of that which comes between and help us to repent for I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. There are three invitations. Look here. I invite you this morning to give your heart to Christ. You give Him your life. He'll come in to live in you. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. And He'll give you ears to hear Him and eyes to see Him and a will to obey Him. First, you've got to repent of sin by faith give your heart to Christ. Maybe you're a Christian. You have unsurrendered desires, actions and attitudes, unsanctified life would you bring it to God? Or as a church member, you want to join the church, would you join the church? Serve God with us? While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.